Luke chapter 17, beginning in verse 22, And he said unto the disciples, The days will come when ye shall desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and ye shall not see it. And they shall say to you, See here or see there. Go not after them, nor follow them. For as the lightning that lighteneth out of one part under heaven shineth unto the other part under heaven, so shall also the Son of Man be in his day. And then verse 34 I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. The one shall be taken, and the other shall be left. Two women shall be grinding together. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken, and the other left. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. I don't want to ignore, as I said a moment ago, we don't want to ignore one of the most vital teachings in the Word of God. It is called in the book of Titus, the blessed hope of the believer. I love to talk about that word hope, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it because I've got seven points this morning. Don't gasp. Don't get nervous. They're short points, okay? But... Titus calls the coming of Christ the blessed hope of the believer. And that word hope is not an iffy thing. It is glad expectation. We hope in the coming of Christ. We don't know when he's coming, but we know he's coming. And that will be a wonderful thing too. That's our great hope, the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, there are some things. And I think this is the problem. By the way, let me... Before I get to that, let me just say this. I told the Sunday school class this morning, often on Sunday night, one of my prayers to God is, Lord, give me the message this week that's just going to blast us out of our pews of satisfaction because I think we're satisfied. We have wonderful fellowship. We love one another. We love visitors. We love being together. But Lord, help us to not be satisfied. That's the greatest danger to a church is to just get satisfied. And so Jesus said there's some things that will cause us not to consider the Lord's return. And one of them is this, Matthew 24, 12, he said, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. You know what iniquity is. Iniquity is sin. And Jesus said because the abounding sin, it will cause many people just to forsake God and to quit serving him. Many of his people. It's the same condition, the same sad condition that existed in the church at Ephesus. You remember that church, what Jesus said to it in Revelation chapter 2? He said, there's a lot of good things you've done. There are folks who say they're apostles and are not. You've put them to test and proven that they are not. He said, you don't like the deeds. You hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And he said, I know your works and all of these things which you've done. But he said, nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee. And why did he have something against them? He said, because you've left your first love. You've left your honeymoon love for me. You're no more thrilled and no longer excited at the thought of serving me and at the thought of living for me. You know, I remember in the days when I was working of people coming into the shop, employees coming into the shop, and dad would ask them this question about the job they were on, said, did you get finished? And they'd say, all except. We hated to hear that. That means you've got to go back one more day, you know. All except. And the reason I thought of that in relation to this church at Ephesus, they had done so much good. But they had done everything except 
have that honeymoon type of love, that first love for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what does love waxing cold? Iniquity shall abound, love of many shall wax cold. What does love waxing cold have to do with not considering the Lord's return? Well, first of all, a lax love, a lost love, will adversely affect our labor for the Lord. If we're not as excited about Him and about serving Him as we were when we first came to know Jesus Christ as Savior, you know what? We're not going to talk of Him. We're not going to speak of Him. We're not going to witness of Him maybe the way we once did. I hadn't planned to tell this, but I know when I was a little boy, after I was saved, I wanted my next door neighbor to be saved. Now, I was not advanced in the techniques of witnessing, okay? So I would sit in church on Sunday morning. I'd make notes from the pastor's sermon, and I knew which side of the car he got in on, so I'd roll them up and stick them in the door handle of the car and the door he got in on. Well, what are you telling us? I wanted my neighbor to be saved. I was saying I wanted my neighbor to be saved. And I had that excitement. You know what happens over the years? We grow comfortable. We grow satisfied. Well, people will hear eventually. Somebody will hear about Christ. Paul names, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul names two motives for serving God. You know what they are? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed to me. You can serve God because you love Him and because you want to. Or you can serve God because you feel like you have to. Hey, He might zap me if I don't go to church. He might zap me if I don't read my Bible. And so I don't want that to happen. And so I'll just serve God. See, with one, there's a reward. If I do this thing willingly, Paul said, I have a reward. Now, if I feel like I'm forced to serve God, he said, well, at least there's a dispensation or a stewardship of the gospel committed to me. Do you serve God? I don't want any answers. I just want you to consider. Do you serve God? Do you serve Him because you want to? You're so appreciative. Now, we can never repay God for everything He's done for us. But do you serve Him because you are so appreciative of what God has done for you? You'd say, how can I not serve Him? Or do you serve God because you're afraid not to? Are you in church today because you're afraid not to be here? You know... Often when you feel like you're doing something because you have to, there's less enthusiasm in doing it, isn't there? I've worked jobs and things I've had to do I didn't really want to do, but I did them because I was working for somebody else and I had to do them. But there'll be less enthusiasm if we feel like we have to, and there'll be less attention to detail also. We won't be quite as careful in the things that we do in serving God. Lax love will affect our work. Lax love will affect our witness. Lax love will affect our worship. Lax love will affect our daily walk if we're not careful. And it will affect our willingness to serve God. And Jesus said, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many will wax cold. They'll have lax love. And especially in these last days when those who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Secondly, you know what lack of love will do? It will cause us not really to have a longing for Christ's return. I think there's a lot of saved people living in this world today, again, who are satisfied. They don't really have the love for the Lord that they ought to have. And so they're just happy to be in this world, just happy to be living in this world and all of the things of the world that they can get. 
And of course, the scripture says all that's in the world, not of the Father, but of the devil or of the world. Now, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10. Remember what Paul said about a man named Demas? Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. That's the condition of a lot of saved folks today. They'll turn their backs on God. They'll not come to worship God. They'll not serve God. They won't witness of Christ because they have fallen in love with the world. If you go to Colossians chapter 4 verse 14, Paul talks about Demas there. He says, Luke the beloved physician and Demas greet you. Demas worked with Paul. Demas went on Paul's missionary journeys with him. In Philemon 23 and 24, there salute the Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, Marcus, Aristarchus, Demas, Lucas, my fellow laborers. Paul said, we work together. And then he comes toward the end of his life, gets there in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and he says, Demas hath forsaken me. Because he loved the world. And he says he's departed into Thessalonica. What happened to Demas? His love for the world grew, and his love for Christ diminished. That's what happened to Demas. That's what happens to a whole lot of folks. That's what has happened to many members of this church. They've fallen in love with the world. Their love for Christ has waxed cold. And they are not faithfully serving God today. And I tell you what, because I've been there, when you're in that condition, you don't want to think about the Lord coming back. You don't want to pray about for the Lord to come back because you're out of fellowship with Him. The other thing that Jesus mentions that will cause us not to consider the reality of His coming is just that we're not thinking about it. He said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 44, Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. What did he say about the conditions on this earth when he comes back? Listen to these verses. Luke 17, verse 26. And as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. You know what he's saying? They went about life as usual. They never gave thought to God's coming judgment. They just lived day in and day out. And you know, they just did the things you do every day. What are people doing today? What are even God's people doing today? We're just living day to day. Oh, I, here's what I've got to do tomorrow. Here's what I want to do next week. I'm planning to go here and there in a month or two or three or whatever it may be. And here are my plans and I'm going to keep my plans. What does James say about that? He said, better say, if God wills. I'll do this or that. But we make our plans and we just live like, Lord, coming is not going to happen. And so I can just go ahead with my plans. He said in verses 28 through 30 in Luke 17, Likewise also it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. So he says again, just life. You know what we're going to do in the morning? We're going to get up and we're going to live life. We're going to get up and do whatever we do on a Monday morning. So he's saying people are going about life as usual. And these people that he talked about were taken by surprise. For 120 years, Noah built the ark and he preached. Judgment's coming, judgment's coming, judgment's coming. They said, look at old, old foolish Noah. It hadn't even rained. The ground is watered by dew coming up. We don't know what rain is. And what's this monstrosity that he's building, okay? And then one day, when all the animals were in the ark, and Noah and his family were in the ark, out of the way the Bible says it, God shut the door. Oh, that's security, isn't it? God shut the door, 
and the rain began to fall, and the windows of heaven were opened, and the fountains of the deep were broken up, and those who had rejected God perished. Let me ask you a question. When you woke up this morning, did you think, hey, this could be the day that the Lord returns? Jesus might come back today. Wouldn't it be great if right now we heard the trumpet sound and the voice of the Lord and the voice of the archangel and we just all went from here into the presence of the Lord? Wouldn't that be fantastic? I think it'd be great. Did we wake up and think this, this could be the day, folks, that Christ returns? We're planning a fellowship for five o'clock. We may not make it. Okay, Jesus could come back and then we'll be fellowshipping in the presence of the Lord. We like to believe in the second coming of Christ, but we don't expect it. We don't expect it each and every day of our lives. The first century believers expected the coming of Christ in their lifetime. Remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4? Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up. The dead in Christ shall rise first, but we're going to be caught up too. Paul expected Jesus to come in his lifetime. By the way, I think there's two things, and I've shared this with you before, two things that caused Paul to live for the Lord like he did. He saw the glory of the risen Christ on that road to Damascus, and he never got over it, and he expected Jesus to return in his lifetime. And I pray many times, I pray, Lord, just give us as a church a glimpse of your glory. Oh, we can talk about the glory of God, but we need to get a glimpse of His glory. We need to understand who it is that we serve. We need to understand who it is that the preacher's talking about when he talks about God. And get a glimpse of His glory, the almighty, all-powerful God creator of this universe. God, give us a glimpse of that glory and then help us to live in expectation of your return. Peter said the day of the Lord's going to come. <laughs> God's long-suffering is why it hasn't come, but it is going to come. And one of these days, we're going to wake up one morning, we're going to drink our coffee, we're going to read our news online, and we'll hear a trumpet sound. Amen. And the voice of the Lord, the shout of the Lord, the Scripture says in 1 Thessalonians 4, what's Jesus going to shout? I don't know. I know He stood outside the tomb of Lazarus and said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Hey, guess what? We might just hear him say, come forth. I've been convinced over the years, well, some of us, Jesus is going to have to shout, wake up! <laughs> you know? <laughs> it's time to go. Don't be late. Don't get left behind. Or he might just come in the nighttime. We read about people sleeping and one taking the other left. Some working. Because this is a worldwide event, you know. While we're sleeping, some folks are working. And while we're working, some folks are sleeping. And Jesus will come and one will be taken and the other will be left. Jesus warned in Luke 21, verse 34, And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. See, we can just get so caught up in everyday living. Jesus comes. And we weren't ready. A man named Lenny Wolf wrote a song many years ago. I told Joni yesterday, I'm thinking about singing it. She didn't get the hint. You know, when I say I'm thinking about singing something, that means, why don't you sing this? But she didn't get the hint. A song called One Day Too Late. Just listen to the first stanza and the chorus. I never thought I'd see the day when you'd come to kneel and pray. I never thought that I would see the church house filled to capacity. 
And outside the door, there's more who have never come before. Oh, what a shame that Jesus came one day before. And you came one day too late. One day too late. Jesus came and you've been left behind to wait. Yesterday, you could not find time for Jesus on your mind. You finally came to call his name. But one day too late. You know, that's so sad. That's a sad song. It's singing to somebody who just said, not right now, Lord. You know, Felix said to Paul, I'll hear you again on this matter. Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to become a Christian. I believe both Felix and Agrippa are in hell today because they died having rejected Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a lot of folks who hear a message like this who say, well, you know, I'm not sure I believe that. And they'll reject Christ. And then the Lord will come and those saved folks that they knew that had invited them to church, tried to witness to them, would be gone. And all of a sudden this thing that we've been talking about called the rapture of the saved will become reality to them and they'll rush down to the church house. Now they might, they might find some preachers in church buildings because not all preachers are saved and not all preachers are preaching the truth about how to be saved. So they might find some preachers, but it will be one day too late. Jesus said, in such an hour as you think not. He said, his coming's going to be like a thief in the night. You know, I've never had a thief call me. You know, the only place my car's been broken into was at church. Well, they knew I was going to be in there for a certain amount of time, you know. And thieves came. They did not call me in advance and say, look, while you're in church, we're going to break into your car. It would have been nice, don't you think? Because I'd have been out there waiting on them. <laughs> but they didn't do that. A thief doesn't do that. And Jesus said, as a thief in the night, that's how his coming will be. And he taught us to pray in the model prayer that we're to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, very few people on this earth wait till the last minute to leave on a trip, don't they? Hey, I know some folks who will prepare two, three weeks, a month, two months in advance. They're packing because they're going on a trip. And yet people will not prepare for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do if you're expecting visitors? Clean the house, don't you? I've said for a long, long time, I'm thankful for the man who invented closets and drawers. You can clean a house in record time with closets and drawers. <laughs> Throw it all in the closet. Don't open that door. That doesn't go anywhere. That's just a closet, right? <laughs> Where's your restroom? It's the second door on the left. Not the third. <laughs> it's the second, okay? We don't want them opening those closets. The plumber came the other day. I cleaned up in the kitchen because the plumber's coming. But people don't wait till the last minute. But we have people in this world and God's people who are not looking for Christ to come, who will not be looking for Christ to come up to the very moment that Jesus comes. And that's sad, folks. So what will the preaching of the coming of Christ do? We're going to get to the reasons I believe he's coming very quickly here. But what will the preaching of the coming of Christ do? Number one, it will remind us that we have a blessed hope. This world is not all there is. And we do have hope. It will be an incentive for faithfulness to serve God and to right living. If anything ought to get you to serve God faithfully, it ought to be the fact that Jesus, number one, God knows everything that we think, do, what we're going to do tomorrow, and the fact that Jesus could come back while we're in the middle of doing something we shouldn't be doing. We ought to be serving God and living for Him. And it will encourage believers, I believe, to witness to family, to friends, to co-workers, to fellow students, to anybody they come in contact with to tell them about the Lord Jesus Christ. Because, listen, I don't want anybody to go to hell. God doesn't want anybody to go to hell. 
God wants everybody to be saved. Not all will be, but God wants people to be saved. So right quickly, here's some Bible reasons. Oh, let me just mention this. I pray that God will use this message to do just what I said, that God will stir us up. He'll blast us out of our, our lethargy and excite us and get us to arise to being what He wants us to be. And by the power of the Spirit, that we will labor for Him because He's coming back. Right quickly. Number one, the presence of last day scoffers. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 3. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. The attitude of the world and of many professed saved today is this. Jesus is not coming back. And the saved will say, well, I don't think in my lifetime he will. He could. He could. And a lot of folks who are saved are looking to go by way of the undertaker rather than the uppertaker. We ought to be living day to day. See, two things are certain. And it's not death and taxes. It's death and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Taxes are uncertain. They may raise them, may lower them. They'll never get rid of them. But death and the coming of the Lord Jesus. And see, we know both are going to happen, but we don't know when they'll happen. You say, I'm going to live a long time. I'm, I'm young. I'm middle-aged. Some of us are old and want to live longer, <laughs> okay? But we have no guarantee. Because I've tried this test year, for many years now. If anybody can guarantee absolutely, without a doubt, that you can leave here and go to your home without having an accident, a fatal accident, just raise your hand. And you can't do it because we don't know. We don't know what's around that corner. The humanist, atheistic, evolutionist lie prevails so that many not only deny Christ's return, but they reject God altogether. We have generations now. I don't know whether they're X, Y, Z, or M-O-U-S-E. I don't know what they're called. But we have generations that have been raised on this lie who don't even believe in God and one of these days they're going to open eyes in hell for all eternity. We see the crime and the drugs and the gambling and what all of that attitude promotes. Because listen, if there's no God, there's no judgment. Right? If there's no God, I can do whatever I want to do and I can do it to you if I want to. And only people will judge me and so what? And so what if I die? It's just blackness. It's just darkness. It's just the end of it all. No, there is an eternity. There is a life after this life. The Word of God guarantees us of that. And here's the indication that man today does not fear God. He scoffs at Christ's return. Number two reason. The great apostasy. I can spend a lot of time on this one. I'll try not to, all right? The apostasy among the Lord's churches is clear evidence that Christ's coming is near. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, Let no man deceive you by any means, for that day shall not come, except there come a falling away first, and that man of sin be revealed, the son of perdition, who opposeth and exalteth himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he as God sitteth in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. What is apostasy? It is just an abandonment of the faith. It is a word from which we get our word eventually divorce. You can't divorce somebody or something you haven't been close to. 
that you haven't been attached to. And so that's what the apostasy is talking about. It's an abandonment of what you voluntarily professed and total desertion of the principles of faith. We have once true churches deserting the faith today. Churches that were the Lord's churches and they're turning their backs on the faith. You know why? You get a few more people in. There are Baptist churches that won't put the name Baptist out on their sign. Because people see that name Baptist, they won't come and visit. Well, I tell you what, I'm proud of the name Baptist. I'm thankful to be a Baptist. It's an old name. It's a revered name. Paul warned Timothy about this time. 2 Timothy 4, 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but if their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and be turned to fables. You know what most people want to hear? I complimented Brother Gene last week. I'll do it again because... He just said, you know, talked about some preachers just want to give a little 20-minute warm, fuzzy type of sermon. Make me feel good when I leave type of sermon. Folks, that's not going to get the job done today. The preaching of the Word of God. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's hard to take. But that's what it's going to take today to bring people to Christ, to get God's people stirred up. Peter warned also, 2 Peter chapter 2, but there were false teachers also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. He said there's going to come folks who will have a, an orator's tongue, They'll be silver-tongued and they'll be able to draw people after them. But they're not preaching the truth. They're not teaching the truth. Listen, if, if your message comes from Reader's Digest, Good Housekeeping, whatever, I don't even know what the magazines are today and not from the Word of God. And if you're twisting the Word of God to come up with a message that you want people to hear and that will make them feel good, you better get back into the Word and understand the Word. I mentioned this last Sunday night. You didn't graduate from seminary unless you knew this verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Study, give diligence to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing, cutting straight the word of truth. And I'll give you another reason right quickly that your pastor does his best to make sure every word that I preach is true. And here it is. 2 Timothy 4, 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing, preach the word. Now you look at what Paul tells Timothy. He said, you better preach the word, bud, because here's what's going to happen. You're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and you're going to give an account for the way you preached to that church and the way you led that church and you better be sure it's right. Folks, I'm scared to preach anything wrong. I've thrown away some good sermons. Well, they were good to me. I thought they worked. But they just weren't quite lining up the way they should. I was having to take a verse and turn it a little bit. And that doesn't work. That's not what we're supposed to do. You don't have to go far to find a Bible teacher today. The problem is that most of them aren't teaching the truth. You just go online and you look for Bible teachers. Don't, don't go to their sites. Just see how many there are. And there's a ton of them. They're not teaching the Word of God. Also, they're not teaching for the truth's sake. You know why they're teaching? To gain a following. I have a podcast site, and it doesn't get many hits. Now, I could make it to get a lot of hits, okay? But it doesn't get many. 
Because why? Because the same thing you hear from this pulpit is what is on that site. And because of that, because of false teachers, he says the truth shall be evil spoken of. And that's what's happening today. Today, again, we have once true churches abandoning the landmark principles of God's word. We have pastors and even churches promoting things that are foreign to the truth. And again, it's just to get folks in. Because if if you don't give them what they want, they won't come in, right? But listen, if you get them in and you don't give them what they need, what good is it for them to come in in the first place? A lot of folks are going to go to hell from the pews of Baptist church. I've got to hurry on. My goodness. Number three, rejection of the Holy Spirit leadership. This is actually akin to the former thought, for apostasy leads to a denial of the Holy Spirit. If we're not preaching, teaching, practicing, living, and standing for the truth, we're not following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, folks. He will lead us according to the Word of God. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils or demons. Some will turn away from the truth because they continuously give their attention to deceiving spirits and things that demons teach them. And they get up in the Lord's churches and present those things. Their consciences have been seared. That word seared has the idea of cauterized. Have you ever had anything cauterized? I've had something cauterized. And, and there's no feeling there. It's, it's a hard surface. And so their spirits have been cauterized, seared over, their consciences have, by what they teach in these demon spirits. What's wrong when the church won't stand for the truth, won't stand for what's right? When an individual and individual lives are not lived for Christ. I tell you what's wrong. They've been cauterized. Their consciences have been seared over. If you're a child of God... Your conscience ought to be open and receptive to the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. We'll come to church many times. Well, I've heard all that and immediately turn off the message instead of listening to it. Number four. I'd like to say a lot more on that point too. All right. We may have to just do a seven message series with all of these points again. Okay. Number four. Perilous times. Perilous times means that they're full of what? Peril. Right? I mean, if they're perilous times, they're going to be full of peril. Second Timothy, we're familiar with this verse. I refer to it a lot of times. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. Again, hard to be born, hard to put up with. Perilous times shall come. Listen to this list. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. Folks that are not here today, you know what they love more than they love God? They love themselves. You say, preacher, don't say that. No, it's true. Now, some folks that are ill that can't be here, I understand that. Some are out of town that can't be here, I understand that. But folks who just say, I'm not going to church today because I don't want to, they love themselves more than love God. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Boy, it's fun at the lake today. And if you went to the lake today and you see this live stream later, I hope God convicts your heart. Had a good day at the golf course today. Well, if you did, Dad, I hope God convicts your heart, okay? You just need to be careful, preacher. You're going to make somebody mad. The Word of God says it. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness. Know a lot of people like that? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He says, from such, turn away. Perilous times, difficult times. We've already mentioned 2 Timothy 4, verses 2 through 4. How can we honestly say we're not living in perilous times today? 
Look at the condition of this country. You know, I can remember back. I still have a memory. I don't have hearing and I don't have sight, according to some people, but I got hearing. I mean, memory. I, mean, I can't even remember what I have, okay? <laughs> I remember back to a time when the division that exists in this country didn't exist in this country. We may not have all believed the same things and all of that, but there wasn't this, you know, this group hates this group and this group hates this group and don't you... Folks, that's crazy. Perilous times. I dare say, in your home, you don't live as safely as you once did. We have cameras around our house. We just paid a bunch of money to put in cameras in this building. I get here this morning, and you know what I find in the back parking lot? A half-full beer can. There's no respect for the Lord's churches even. And their property. I just want to know, who has the gall to throw out an empty, half-empty beer can on the church parking lot behind the building? We still live in this country with the threat of terrorism and violence and war, crime in our cities, drugs, political and corporate dishonesty. Terrorless times, folks, difficult to be born. And you know what Jesus said in Matthew 24? These are just the beginnings of sorrows. I saw in the news, read in the news headlines this week, which went, what, now three Nuclear-powered submarines to the coast of Korea. Threat of war. 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 3 and 4. For when they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, listen to this, but ye, brethren, this is verse 4, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. Wake up! What day are we living in? Perilous times. Difficult to be born. And then to go along with that, this is number five, the immorality of our day. I'm constantly amazed at the apparent unconcern of people about the downgrading of morals in our nation and in our world. Things that would have once had us blushing, we laugh at. Dr. J.B. Powers said this one time, Whenever and wherever morals of a people fall, you can look for a downgrading of all other things. And isn't that true? The home, the family, society, being torn apart by immorality, being torn apart by drugs. And I will add this, alcohol is a drug. By the way, you know when somebody is intoxicated, you know what it means? They just poisoned themselves. Toxic is in there, all right? Toxic means it's poisonous. And people will willingly take it into their systems. You would better remember Proverbs 14, 34, righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. The immorality of our day. Read the pages of history. Noah's day. Sodom and Gomorrah. Greece. Rome. On the History Channel many years ago, there was a series called The Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire. And toward the end of the Roman Empire, immorality reigned. And you know what else? They couldn't find honorable and honest leaders for the nation of Rome. We better wake up, folks. We better wake up. Romans chapter 1, verses 20. We're not going to read these verses. You can read them for yourselves. 21 through 32 tells of people whose mind was wholly given to evil while they rejected God's judgment. And God's judgment came. Cursings, revelings, sex sins, degenerated morals. All that points to is this one thing. Jesus is coming soon, folks. 
Number six, another one I'd like to spend a lot of time on, the Lord's churches in this age. Bible scholars tell us that we are living in the Laodicean age. Well, what about the church at Laodicea? They were lukewarm. They were self-satisfied. And Jesus, if you get down to verse 20, Jesus said, I'm outside the church. I stand at the door and knock. And if any man open the door, I'll come in and I'll fellowship with him. Here was a church that had put Jesus on the outside. Some seem to have decided that since we're in Laodicean age, we've got to adopt the attitude of that age. Well, we can't affect anybody anyway. You know, let's just hook in and hang on. <laughs> you know, try, to, try to have a church here when Jesus comes, no matter how big, no matter how small. Let's just try to be here when Jesus comes. We have us, we have ours, we don't need anything else. And I said this to the Sunday school class this morning. Here's the danger that we say, look at this wonderful fellowship that we have. Look at this love we have for one another. Boy, you know, if, if somebody came in from the outside, they might disrupt that. And so we've got to be careful. No, folks. People need to come in. They need to see this love. They need to feel the love of God, the love of Christ here. They need to understand the presence of the Holy Spirit in these services. Amen. That's what is needed. I'll look right into the camera and say this for the live stream, folks. We want people to visit here. Amen. And if God leads you here, we want you here as a member. And if God wants you somewhere else, we want you where God wants you. We want you in the will of God. Many think only one worship service a week is enough. By the way, these same folks don't eat only once a week. And some seem to place God on hold for the summer months. And we'll get back to church when we can't be out and about and doing things and, and serving the flesh. I'm thankful, folks, for every consecrated, God-fearing person in this church. But for the record, not all of our people are consecrated and God-fearing. You want to get fired, aren't you, preacher? <laughs> no, I'm not trying to. Okay. While evil abounds and souls are being bound in the shackles of sin, you know what? We sit idly by, marking time, treading water, and people every day die and go to hell. We should be actively living for Christ. What we ought to do is say, Lord, open my eyes to the lost souls that are just slipping into eternity every day. Had a tragic accident at one of the businesses here in town just this past week. I'm sure that man did not plan on that happening. Finally, number seven, the parable of the budding fig tree. Luke 21, verse 29, Jesus is speaking. He spake to them a parable. Behold the fig tree and all the trees. When they now shoot forth, you see and know of your own selves that summer is now nigh at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass away till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. Jesus said, when we see these things begin to happen, here's what we know. His coming is at the door. His coming is at the door. We have in our yard... My family won't let me get rid of it. A fig tree. We're in summer now, and you know what? We have figs on it. I could have told you we were getting into warm weather, not just by the temperature, but by the fig tree. That's what Jesus says. When these things start to bud, when this starts to happen, you better wake up. You better know my coming is near. Now, some things I haven't mentioned in relation to this, and that's the place of Israel in the world, the search for peace in the Middle East, the attention of the whole world focused on that area, the worldwide economic situation. 
natural disasters. Folks, all of those things are pointing to one thing. I mean, you know, if, if you saw a sign, and maybe they used a man's hand on the sign, and it said, go this way, or, or whatever you're looking for is that way, what would you know? Well, I need to go that way. And Jesus says all of these things are saying, he's coming. He's coming. And it could be today. And God's word indicates where this creation is in relation to Christ's return. Just the, the, what we see, that you know what the natural disasters are? It's this earth, it's this world groaning. The scripture says like a woman in travail just before she has a baby. And after seeing all of these things, I think we can say, well, certainly the Lord's coming is at hand. We don't know when. Say, brother, preacher, when will Jesus come? Well, I'll tell you when he's going to come. When God says it's time. When God the Father says it's time, God the Son will come. That's it. Well, when is that? Well, I don't know. Only God knows that. Jesus said that. And since we don't know the exact time of His coming, you know what? We need to be living ready. On Wednesdays, my wife comes from work, picks me up, we grab something to eat, and we come back here for Wednesday night services. I got a wonderful little app on my phone that I can tell where she is. When I see her start toward the house, I mean, she's about a mile away. I say, okay, I need, let's get everything together. Make sure I'm ready to go. And usually I'm standing outside when she shows up. Folks, that's how we need to be living in light of Christ's return. Let me ask you a question. I'm full of questions. Child of God, would you like to meet the Lord and stand before the judgment seat of Christ with your record as it is right now? your record of faithfulness, your record of witnessing, your record of service, would you like to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give answer for your life? Because you're going to right now. We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. One other thought, and then we're going to close. If there's anybody watching this live stream, listening to the podcast in these services today that doesn't know Christ as Savior, after having heard the gospel presented, would you really want to be found without Christ at His coming. Because here's what's going to happen. The dead in Christ shall rise, those who have died trusting Christ. We which are alive and remain that have trusted Christ will be taken out of this world, and then God's wrath is coming upon this world. I'm thankful God said that we don't have to suffer His wrath, but this lost world does. You say, well, I'll wait and see the rapture, and then I'll make sure, and then I'll accept Christ. No, you won't. I can tell you by biblical authority that you will not. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. And then shall that wicked, that wicked one, the, the Antichrist, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders. He is going to have some power. And with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved... That is, somebody heard the gospel and they rejected Christ and they were left behind. And for this cause, this is who he's talking about, those who rejected Christ and are left behind. And for this cause, God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they all might be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The Word of God says if you hear the gospel today, you reject Christ, and Christ comes tonight, too bad. Your opportunity to be saved has passed. And God will allow you 
to believe everything that the Antichrist says. You believe his lies. I won't believe it. Yes, you will. Because what did it say? God will send them strong delusion. You'll be deluded. God will allow you to be. You reject Christ. Now Jesus comes, you will, you'll die without Christ. And spend an eternity separated from him. Jesus is coming back. And now, right now, this day, as a child, dad would tell us to do something, I'd say in a minute. And he'd say, not in a minute, not tomorrow, right now. I knew what that meant. It meant right now. Well, folks, not in a minute, not tomorrow, not next Sunday, not next month. Right now is the time to prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. If you're saved, serve him. If you're lost, accept him as Savior. That's what you need to do.